You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, guys, if I haven't a chance to meet you, by the way, I'm Nick, I'm the lead pastor, and today we are kicking off a brand new series. I'm super excited. It's called The Promised Land. Can you say The Promised Land? Promised Land. Say it with some energy. Come on. Try one more time. The Promised Land. The promised land. There we go. That's what we're talking about. A Promised Land. So what we're going to be talking about throughout this month are the promises of God. Now, uh, over the last few years, and not just a few years, but in our lifetime, we face so many different moments, chaos and, and uncertainty and confusion, and, and things come our way. And, and oftentimes we're like, where do I go? What do I do? What does God want for me? You know, one of the questions I get asked the most is, what is God's will for my life? And it can be so confusing. How can we determine God's will or direction through uncertainty and chaos? And, and, and as our world's been turned upside down, how do we navigate this? And, and the way we navigate is finding these anchor points. And throughout God's word, throughout scripture, we have these anchor points. And we refer to them as the promises of God. The promises of God are true and faithful. And no matter what we're walking through, the promises of God are here. Josh is here. What's up, Josh? Say hi, Josh. Sorry. You surprised me. I was like, oh, Josh is here. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so we're walking through the promise of God. This month, though, the series is a little different. Where um, I'm going to be sharing, but we're going to be doing interviews. There's this passage in Revelation that is so powerful. It says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So this month, we're going to kind of have a message and kind of conversation uh, interspersed. And we're going to not just hear from God's word, but also hear what God has done in people's lives. But as we walk through this month, I want to mention one thing. We have a, a version uh, Bible reading plan that we're going through as a church. And if you go, go on your phone, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can get, get to this. But if you go to promises.calvaryirwin.com, so just promises.calvaryirwin.com, you can access, just scroll down, you'll access the link to join the Bible reading plan. And in that Bible reading plan, it's a 21 day, so we'll go throughout the month. You can post questions and we can interact and you can get a reading, Bible reading each day. And we're gonna walk through the promises of God each day throughout this month. So just go to promises.calvaryirwin.com on your phone or, or device and uh, you can access it there. So we're gonna be walking through that this month. Um, now, there's this, uh, this cultural phenomenon that has become more and more normalized throughout our society uh, over these last few years. We've labeled it cancel culture. It's, it's where something happens, something offends you or doesn't sit right with you, and, and you cancel that person, that company, that entity completely out of your life. Like, you just eliminate it. And, and, and at face value, this is an understandable human response the things that bother us or hurt us or, or we just don't like after all, it's something we learned as children at a young age. When you get burned by the stove, you stay away from it. When you get too close to that angry dog, you don't do that anymore. Pain is an incredible teacher. Many of the people, places, and practices that we avoid in life are lessons we've learned from the professor of pain. We've learned, like, stay away from that. Don't go down that route. Um, I've told this story many times. It's a painful story. That when I was a youth pastor here and we had uh, a fireworks tent, and uh, I thought this was the greatest thing that would ever happen. We were going to sell fireworks and raise all this money for our youth ministry. I had no budget from the church, so I thought, this is a great way to raise money. We're going to sell fireworks. Everyone that was a youth pastor told me it's, it's easy. 
You just set up a tent and sell them and you get money. And I was hoping to get like, you know, $5,000 in 12 days because that was about what people said you'd get. And I was so pumped. And uh, by the end of it, I made like $300. And I realized Nick is not a businessman. Nick should not be selling fireworks. Uh, that was a painful experience. I don't want to relive, okay? And, and painful experiences teach us so much. So, so cancel culture is really a greater response to the idea that honestly the human race has been practicing from the beginning of time. That, that we avoid pain. When something happens that we don't like, we stay away from it. And I'm sure we've all learned a thing or two from painful experiences that we could kind of uh, share with each other. You know, you keep getting bad service or bad food at a restaurant and you stop going there and giving them your money. Unless they're Taco Bell and you keep doing that because that's really good. Um, Amen, thank you. I heard that. Jesus heard that. Um, Someone takes advantage of you maybe. They hurt you. So you learn to be more cautious. And you're less trustworthy. You don't want to trust everybody. You're less trusting. Something painful happens in your life and you vow to never let that happen again, that same situation or circumstance. You avoid it. These are normal reactions that are geared toward avoiding painful experiences or painful people. And they make sense. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, that makes sense? It makes sense. The tension of this response, though, is where does it all stop? At what point does avoiding pain justify avoiding people, places, or things? Like, where's the line? Now, I'm not sure what your familiarity is with the Bible, with Scripture, But one of the things that is amazing about the Bible is we don't simply find ancient truths, but we find remarkably relevant stories uh, that show us how to respond to the times and situations that we find ourselves in. One of those stories is is a story that Jesus shares in the Gospels of a person who was wronged by someone who is really, really close to them. Uh, and, And isn't that usually the worst? Like when someone really close to you hurts you, it hurts worse because they're closer and it, it, there's more meaning and depth and it, and, it, and it cuts deeper. Now, the story Jesus told was the story of a father and a son. The son disrespects his father in a way that uh, culturally at that time, people don't normally come back from. Like you don't, you don't, you don't reconcile. You, you don't fix what was broken. And let me give you the backstory. story. Uh, a custom at the time of Jesus, and it's really a common custom even to this day, was that uh, fathers would leave an inheritance for their children. The estate of the father would usually be divided up and given to his children after the father had died or, or when the father no longer could manage his estate. So when he had reached a point where um, you know, he's just not capable any longer. And especially at this time, this was a pri- the primary legacy a father would leave his children, his wealth. And he would spend his entire lifetime accumulating it. Now, in the story that's recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus shares how one of the two sons in the story goes to his father and he asks for the inheritance early. Now, while his father was still alive, he's asking this. Like, he's not waiting like his father has passed away and now he comes and gets his inheritance. No, his father's still alive and his father is still very, very capable of managing the estate. Now, doing this was more than just like an act of greed on the son's part. Uh, That's because an act of greed might look bad on the son. This didn't just look bad on the son. This looked bad on his father. Like culturally speaking, this smeared his father's reputation in the community. 
See, this was an agricultural society. Uh, the size of a man's herd of cattle or other livestock or the breadth of his fields that were planted were symbols of status. To be able to give this son uh, his inheritance, he would have to liquidate some of that. Meaning that his fields might get smaller, his, his herds might get smaller. That, that physically speaking, when others looked at this father and his estate and, and the land that he took care of, it would now look less impressive. For the son to ask his father at this time would have caused a stir in the surrounding community where people would ask, is, is something wrong with the father? Isn't he capable of taking care of it? Like, is there something we don't know about? It was a massive slap in the face. It would have been incredibly hurtful and embarrassing for this father for all of this to transpire. And what's remarkable is the father's response. He actually grants his son's request. Like, he didn't have to do that. He, he had every right to be like, absolutely not, son. Like, stop asking, you're not getting that. But he grants his request. His love for his son superseded the pain and the embarrassment that his son was about to cause him. Then the ending you probably could see coming takes place. The son doesn't just make an embarrassment of his father, but he makes an embarrassment of himself. Luke chapter 15, verse 13. We read the record of what takes place for this son. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, you have to understand uh, how low his son gets here. He, he not only squandered in days what it took his father years to accumulate, but he was now feeding pigs and longing to eat what the pigs ate. Now, this would be a low moment for any, any one of us, but for a, a Jew at this time in history, this was an even lower low. Pigs were considered ceremonially unclean by Jews. It, it would have been unclean on a physical and spiritual level to do what he was doing. This is the point where uh, the father's natural reaction, the normal human reaction uh, at this time in history, at really any time in history, would be for the, the father to be like, okay, let him go. He's caused this mess. He's made this happen. Let him go. Leave him to his own devices. This is the, the opportunity that some would say, uh, uh, take, take to, to say, I told you so. I knew you'd screw up. Why didn't you listen to me in the first place? Like, why didn't you ask your father for some wisdom? Why would you even do something so dumb? And if this happened to 100 fathers, 99 fathers would respond that way. You could even argue it's the healthiest way for a father to respond. Not only does his response teach his son an important lesson about his choices, but also allows the father to move forward with his life in a healthier way, detached from the pain and chaos that his son had brought into his otherwise healthy life. But in the story that Jesus tells, the father responds in a completely opposite way than you'd expect. You see, the son realizes how screwed up his life has become. He recognizes it's only gonna get worse. So he decides, he makes this thought. And this is maybe one of the few moments in this story where the son has like a, a logical thought that actually makes sense. He thinks, well, I'm sitting here longing to eat what the pigs are eating. 
Maybe my father will let me at least be a lowly servant in his household. And even at that, I'm going to live better and eat better than I am right now. Like, it can't get worse than this, right? Even if, like, I'm in charge of the garbage at my father's estate, that's better than what I'm doing now. So he starts his journey back home. And he figures his life will at least be better if his father was gracious and merciful enough to even let him be a servant. He could have never imagined, though, what was going to happen next. Verse 20 of Luke 15 says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, I could imagine, like, the son had been rehearsing what he's going to say. I mean, could you imagine him sitting there with the pigs, like, covered in slop? Like, here's another one, pig. Take another one. Um, And He's rehearsing in his head what he's going to say to his father. He had this long journey back. He was in a distant country. Long journey back. He's he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. He has this all planned out. Like his father's going to be angry. His father's going to be disappointed. His father's going to be mad. How's he going to respond to that? And and he's surprised. His father's running to him. And in that moment, that probably wasn't a good thing. It was like, what's he going to do? He's going to hit me. Like, he's going to throw something at me. But his father wraps his arms around him, embraces him, and kisses him. And in verse 21, the son gets into his rehearsed statement. Like what he's been planning in his head all of this time, he starts right into it. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And like he gets one sentence in practically, one statement in, and his father interrupts him. It's like none of that. Here's what he says. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, I want to stop there for a second because this is really powerful. Uh, For him to put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and a robe on him, what he was saying symbolically in that culture was, you are now my son. You now carry the same weight and authority as my son again. I lost my son and you're back. And putting the robe and the ring and the sandals were symbols of status. And he was saying, your status has been restored. Crazy stuff. This is not the way this story is supposed to go, right? We've seen plenty of stories on, you know, Jerry Springer or Dr. Phil or, or whatever. We're like, you know, the, they're all estranged and they hate each other and they start throwing chairs at each other and they're angry and, and like they're mad and, and, and they're trying to work through all of their grudges and, and anger. But the father, like, doesn't even bat an eye, throws a robe on him, the ring, and the sandals. And he goes on, he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now when the father should have disowned him, when the father had every right to cancel him, when he should have just ignored him, pushed him out of his life, and said, no longer, you walked out, you're, you're gonna be stuck to yourself now. Like, you deal with the consequences of your own actions. You made the bed, you can sleep in it. You're done. When the father should have done that, he doesn't. He celebrates his return. Now, there are some rich lessons in this story about how we interact with others. But the real message of this story isn't how we interact with each other. The real message of the story that Jesus is trying to get at is an example of how God interacts with us. You see, God has every right to cancel us. He should. We mess up so many times. Live a day, a week. You could come with a long list of all the things, the mistakes we've made. 
the reasons why God should never love us, welcome us, forgive us, embrace us. There are a long list of reasons. And yet, God is the loving, forgiving, compassionate father of this story. No matter how screwed up our lives have become, he always, always welcomes us back home. And that, you know, that could be a really powerful thing to talk about. Uh, a really nice idea to hear. But today, I want to give you an example of someone that has experienced the journey of what uh, we might call the journey of a prodigal and came home and saw God take what was and was gone and back again. And uh, this morning, we have a, a good friend of mine with me. His name is John Paul Wheelis. I know him as JP. I don't know if you go by, do you go by JP still? No, because we're adults now. I've known JP since we were teenagers. But I want to invite JP, John Paul, up here this morning. Give it up to him. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Do you go by JP still? Uh, John Paul. No. John, John, John Paul, okay. JP. It's no, the, you always call me it's JP. The, it's the curse of knowing you for the phone. But it's, uh, it's a blessing, I think. But. Yeah, some pe- my family in the South still call me JP. JP, okay. So if it's okay, I'll call you JP because that's just all I know. Yes. So JP, I'll give you a little backstory. Uh, JP and I knew each other when we were in high school. So my uh, senior year of high school, I led the Bible club at uh, Dairy Area High School. Woo-hoo. Go Trojans. Thank you, Scott. Uh, and um, <clears throat> that year, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Travis Deans, uh, he would organize uh, the Bible club leaders in our county, Westmoreland County. <clears throat> And we'd have lunch sometimes, like Westmoreland Mall or different things, and he'd kind of network us. And uh, JP and me and another friend, Jason, he was the leader of the Bible Club in Hemfield. JP was at Norwin. We got to be really good friends. And uh, that summer, uh, it would be, well, that school year, so 1999, 2000, uh, JP had shared with me, like, hey, my youth group is going on this missions trip to El Salvador. And I was like, I've never been to El Salvador. I've never been on a missions trip. And he's like, you should go. So Jason and I, my sister, we decided we're going to do this. So we uh, started fundraising and doing car washes and all kinds of fun fireworks, stuff. Fireworks. Fire- illegal fireworks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. We didn't do that because I wouldn't have done it as a youth pastor then. I would have like, already been hurt. Um, but we, uh, we did all these fundraisers and we, and we went. And uh, JP was youth, on the youth group here at Calvary at that time. And um, through that trip... I get to know Pastor Todd, uh, and we've never gotten to know Pastor Todd. And I've told you this before, but I would never be here today if it wasn't for you inviting me to go on a mission trip. Because uh, I would not have known Pastor Todd, I would not come here as a youth pastor, and I would definitely not be here today. So thank you for stepping out and asking me to go on a mission trip. And it was a blast. Um, I had an awesome time. Uh, I I mean, one of the most life-changing, life-changing trips uh, I could ever ask for. And uh, and I remember uh, on... Uh, somewhere in the, I don't know if it was on that trip or somewhere in the process of preparing the trip, um, you, me, and Jason, we all talked about, hey, we all want to go to college together. I was the oldest, then Jason, then you were third. And we were going to go in successive years. And I went first that, that next fall. Jason came the year after that, but JP didn't. And uh, share with us a little bit about your childhood, your teenage years, and how, first of all, we'll get to that in a second, how you ended up uh, at Calvary and the impact it had in your life. Okay. And if I may, can I please yeah, just go, go, uh, pray real. and just invite the Lord to 
Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, just praise you, Lord. I thank you. Lord, I just welcome you here. I welcome your spirit. I ask, Lord, that I would say the words that you would have for me to say today so that I can help someone who's out there suffering right now, Lord. I give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how did you end up here at Calvary? What was that like? After I pray, I usually start with a joke to, oh, okay. to soften things that up works. a little bit. That works. And I'm, I'm, I was thinking of what I, I, I should, you know, lead with because I didn't have an icebreaker or anything. Mm-hmm. But I transitioned uh, to El Salvador's story. Mm-hmm. So we're in El Salvador. We get done, you know, speaking at the school, whatever. I was a clown. Were you a clown? I was one day, yes. One day, yeah, one, one day. day. Yeah, well, I was a steady clown. You were a steady clown, yes. Um, which that kind of goes along with, you know, some of my high school years, the class clown. But um, we, we get done at this school or orphanage or whatever it was, you know, um, and they're playing basketball out there. So they see, here comes American, six foot six. There, hey, you want to come shoot some hoops, you know? You know, I, I look... Everyone knew you could dunk. I, I, look, I look the part. You do, you do. And I get out there, <laughs> they give me the ball, and I disgrace America. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that trip. I remember that, that school. We were like, get off the bus, and the kids are screaming on the fence, like so excited to see us, and the hoops were right there, and you like, you went for it. I went for it, but I, I can't jump. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't even close, but I, it was a good try. I didn't hit my stride to my 30s. It's so. okay, it's all right. But no. It's all good. Um, so what's the question? So how did, how did, you, how did, you, uh, how did you end up at Calvary, and what, what was kind of your childhood, teenage years like here? Yeah, so, I mean, before Calvary, I grew up in the church. You know, there was times that we didn't go faithfully every Sunday, Wednesday, those kind of things. Um, but I knew the Lord at a young age. I accepted Christ in children's church, you know. Um, but I came here to Calvary after, you know, late 90s, after my mom had had, she had just gotten a divorce from, not my dad, but, you know, her, another marriage. And uh, we came here kind of hurt, lost, you know. Um, those were the days of Pastor Seller and Pastor Todd, you know, right after Pastor Hart, shortly after Pastor Hart had, had left. Um, so we came here and, you know, I was just a young, young teenager, kind of lost. I just changed schools from a key sport coming to Norwin, which was quite a change in and of itself. Yeah. Um, so I, that's how I ended up at Calvary. Um, what was it like in youth group those days with Pastor Todd? It was great. Um, I actually, I was back by his old office. I don't yeah. know which door it was, but it yeah. just, it, it's nostalgic for me to be back here. Yeah. Um, it's really an honor to be back here. You know, I was here last week for the 50th celebration um, yeah. And being here on this stage again, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of healing for me and yeah. for my story. For sure. Um, so you went, you went on two mission trips. El Salvador was the second one, right? I went to Russia went to in Russia 1999. First, and then which, to El Salvador. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought? Uh, what an incredible ride that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, knowing your story, like you, God was doing some amazing things. You led the Bible Club at Norwin. Like you were the Christian kid in Norwin, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, I wanted to say, because one of the important parts was, so I came here, you know, I knew Christ as a younger child, but I went on a mission, or I went on a convention to Hershey. Uh, and I know you, some of you have probably been to one of those conventions. But just the impact of sending 
sending your youth to those, to those conventions. God gets a hold of a lot of people at those conventions. Yeah. So early on here, I went to one of those conventions in Hershey. I, you know, I rededicated my life to Christ. And, and you're right, I was, I was here, you know, every Sunday. When, every day I was practically here hanging out with Pastor Todd and, and you know, other people, you yeah. know. And I was sold out for Christ. It was legit. It wasn't, you know. And I was young and you, you could... You didn't have a job, and you just you could just dive into Christ. Yeah, you know, it's pretty awesome. Which is what what we should be doing as as adults. And you were making a huge impact in your high school, and uh, I mean, Pastor Todd was so passionate about being a campus missionary, and you were that. In every see sense you of at term. the pool, see handing the pool. out books for life. You bet. All of that. Um, what happened near the end of your high school years that kind of took you on a different path? Yeah. So. Um, I would say that I, I started, one of the things was getting my first job, and I know Pastor Todd would always say, you know, you, you have the youth until they get their first job. Once they get their first job, and then, oh, I can't be there on Wednesdays, and slowly, you know, they fade away. Your window for your kids is small from children's church, you know, planting those seeds in children's church, planting those seeds in youth group yeah. before they get out in the world, and then they, you know, I had to figure it out for myself. And, and I, had a, I was around bad influences at my first job. Um, and, you know, I used something that happened here at the church, church politics or church hurt or whatever you want to call it. I still don't know really exactly what happened, you know, nor does it matter. But um, I used it as an excuse to walk away from the Lord. I had already began months earlier, you know, hanging around with the wrong people, wanting to fit in, being curious, curious about drugs mm-hmm. and different things. I remember Pastor Seller, I told him last week how he brought me to Wendy's, bought my lunch, and I didn't know this, but it was like him trying to, to save me before it was too late, because he knew, you know, everyone knew the writing on the wall. Um, I didn't eat much of that Wendy's that day, because, yeah. you know, he called me out. Yeah. Um, and he said last week he called me out from a, from a point, standpoint of love, you know. But it was too late, I had already made a decision, really, before I ever got high, that you know, I was just going to walk away, but I used what happened at the church as a reason to just, you know, start. So over the next five years, tell us kind of a little bit of what, what took place. How, how did your life change over those next five years? So I, yeah, 20 years ago, roughly, because I'll be out of high school 20 years this year, which is crazy. Um, but I did enough damage in five years, five and a half years, you know, it's a good thing that, that the Lord delivered me and I'm clean because I should be dead. I should be in jail. I should have a felony, you know, mm-hmm. the prodigal son. Like, yeah. if I got what I deserved, I want to get the fat calf. calf. Um, I'm truly blessed today. You know, I give God, God the honor and glory. Yeah. He has blessed me beyond measure. But I... You know, I wasn't eating pig food per se, but I mean, I got to that point, you know, you're, you, you end up in different places and you're in a house where they don't have water because they didn't pay the bill because they'd rather buy cocaine or whatever. And I'm out there scooping up uh, snow in a pot so I could boil some water on the gas stove because at least we had gas. Yeah. So I could make my top ramen soup, you know, things like that. I had DUI on Route 30, passed out in the fast lane. Um, I, I filed bankruptcy at a young age in my 20s because of the damage I did financially. I lost a career in restaurant management 
which now I'm kind of grateful for that. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and there was a lot. I did things that I'm not proud of. You know, I mean, drugs brought me, brought me to horrible places, and that wasn't me at all. Yeah. That that was it wasn't it wasn't. I remember when I was a youth pastor. I came back here as a youth pastor in 2005, and uh, I remember one uh, one evening I was in my office, which was over here, and you walked through the doors of the church. I hadn't seen you since uh, we were in high school, and you walked through the doors, and I was like, you look totally different. I, I didn't recognize you. I was like, how is that JP? That's not. That is not the JP I remember. I didn't even think that was possible. What, what, was, the, what was the kind of, if you can remember, like the, the lowest moments that you remember of those, those years? I was living in a trailer park at that time. Um, and I remember calling, I don't know, shout to the Lord. You know, I'm in there. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, if you've experienced drugs. And there, there's times where you can, I mean, I'd be up for days and, uh, your full-time job, when you get into drug addiction, your full-time job is getting high. That's what you do, especially when you're, if you're not working. Your job is to get high all the time. And I'd been high for days, so it, and I've, I must have been out of drugs at that time. So uh, shout to the Lord came into my, into my mind for some reason at the trailer. And I just, the you song. know. The song. Yeah, the, the song, shout to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I knew I was living in sin. I knew, you know, what I was doing was wrong. And uh, for some reason, I was just like, I'm going to call, call the church and see. And I think Pastor Todd actually answered. But that was the, you guys, uh, Pastor Todd came and picked me up, took me to Steak and Shake, I remember. But I was probably about, when I got clean from drugs, I was 135 pounds, six foot six. Wow. I gained a pound a day the first 30 days clean. I, I went up to 165. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I remember using, and in the beginning you have that guilt and conviction, and you keep, you keep ignoring conviction, yeah. you ignoring conviction, ignoring. Eventually the conviction leaves, which is a scary, scary place. What was the, what was, how, how did you get clean? What was kind of the turning point where you started to realize, man, I'm on a bad path. This is not good. Like, what, you're kind of going, like you said, your full-time job is getting high. What started to turn things for you? The Lord, divine intervention. It yeah. only had to be, which yeah. later in my story, it just confirms, you know, how it was divine intervention. When I got clean in 2007, I wasn't at my worst. I, that wasn't my worst. I had tried to, to get clean, um, go, to, go to rehab or, you know, do NA meetings, things like that. I, at one point, I had almost six months clean within that five and a half years. Um, but it was really divine intervention. I, so I had some ex- experience, though, with uh, Narcotics Anonymous, which, you know, I, I, I've, I've told you this before. You know, our church is doing a recovery group right now, Life Recovery. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you still have to d- defer people to Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, when you're first getting clean, you need a meeting every single day. Yeah. And, and the foundation that I, that I learned there about staying away from people, places, and things, you know, not thinking you can be a designated driver or, you know, uh, you know things like that, praying, asking God to help me stay clean every day, helping serve, you know, those, those are the foundations I learned in Narcotics Anonymous. And that really turned things for you. Yeah, so I knew, so I was, I was just smoking weed. And, and man, I'll tell you, for me, my story is marijuana is a gateway drug for me. 
Yeah. And for so many stories I've heard, it is a, it can be a dangerous, dangerous, it is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, but I would, I knew I, I was in this dead, this endless cycle buying marijuana, just smoking or, and, you know, and marijuana really wasn't enough for me, but I was doing that cause it wasn't the harder cocaine and stuff like that. Um, and I knew I was just in a dead end cycle. So I had spoke with someone who was clean before me and she, she said, just go home, read the basic text, which is the, the Narcotics Anonymous uh, literature, yeah. and pray and just go to sleep and wake up and try to get one day clean. And, and that's what I did. Um, so I woke up July 25th, 2007. That was my, that was my first day clean. And I had one day. Yeah. It started with one day. Um, and I went to an NA meeting. I did about 100 NA meetings in 90 days. And, the, you know, the rest is history. 90 days later, you stayed clean. Yeah. How did God enter the scene? I know you, like, you grew up in church, but you went through NA, NAA, or NA, and you got clean. Where did God come into the picture for you? So once, re-enter the picture, I guess. Yeah, once I was cl- clean, um, you know, I... I, you know, I did the NA for a few years, but I wanted that deeper spiritual walk again. I would, you know, that's part of my story is chasing, even 20 years later, you know, the first time I got high 20 years ago, yeah. I had 15 years clean, but 20 years later, I'm still like, where would I be? Would I be Pastor Nick? You know, did I, because I questioned, did I have a call in my life mm-hmm. back then, which yeah. I thought maybe I did. Yeah. And, you know, I... I started having kids in my 30s. I got married in my 30s. Shout out to my wife real quick, though, Leah. I was going to forget to do that. Yes. So, But no, in my, I felt like still, you know, I started my career late, my second career as a nurse. Yeah. I, you know, I started kids late, all that kind of thing. I don't have regrets, though, to that regard. I mean, this is the walk, yeah. and, and the Lord you bet. You, can use me and is using me is. Where, yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I, I wanted... You know, an NA that, you know, you can have whatever higher power you want. You can have a chair or a bottle of water, whatever it is, which, which sometimes, you know, people need that when they're first getting clean because they have hate towards God. They grew up in a, in, you know, where God is there to strike you. Yeah. God's not a graceful God. So yeah. sometimes people initially, you know, they're not ready for that. But I wanted to go back to my, my true, the one and living God, Christ, yeah. you know, go back to that. So I started going to church. And because of the church politics that I had experienced at a young age, I went to Newstand Assembly of God. So I've been there since 2010, ever since. That's awesome. Um, But I wanted a deeper walk. I wanted a closer walk. I wanted to go back to the Christ I knew. There's something still there. We, we, we talked about our preschool, like preschool teachers earlier. You know, you train up a child in the way you should go, and they will not depart from it. And like there's seeds there that were planted that never left, mm-hmm. even through all of that. And you knew something there, I, that's what I need. What was it like after walking away from the church and from God, what was it like coming back? Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't want to forget to tell this part, yeah. so I'll tell it next. But I didn't know on July 24th that I was going to be successful because I've wanted to be clean before and, you know, have relapsed and things like that. And I didn't know that July 25th was going to be my clean date. Uh, years later, a few years, two, three years down the line, I'm, I'm clean. And uh, I find my old baptismal certificate from Calvary from yeah. here. 
You got baptized right there. Right there. That's yeah. why I pointed back to right there. there. That's yeah. about one of the only, the only thing that's still here, that and the carpet. Yes. But yes. pretty soon the That'll carpet will yes. change yes. too. Yes. So. <laughs> but I'm glad you still have that yeah. baptismal. Um, I find my baptismal certificate and, and I find that the date on it is July 25th. The day I ended up getting clean. I, I was baptized, I believe it was seven years earlier from my clean date. And I mean, if that isn't God restoring what he started. So you're baptized, seven years later, you go through this journey of addiction where you hit the lowest of lows and seven days to the date, your clean date. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, to God be the glory. Amen, amen. amen. I mean, if I, get what, if I got what I deserved, I'd be like the prodigal son. You bet. You bet. I'd have a felony. I want to be able to be a nurse. Yeah. And that's part of my story, too, is as a registered nurse, I was worried, and I still am, you know, cautious. Pride, of course, would play a role, too. But, you know, anonymity, you know, I don't handle narcotics, and I don't work in a hospital anymore. But you worry yeah. about, oh, he's a drug addict, you know, like, yeah. you know, people have perceptions of that yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But I'm tired of sitting with a story that can help save someone's life. Yeah. I know that the Lord will protect me if it would make someone think different of me, lose a job, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's another job out there for me. I can't waste this story any longer. You bet. And the Lord transforms people. And the Lord is gracious that he, you can come back and he'll kill the biggest, fattest calf there and welcome you back with open arms. Isn't that amazing? How has God now uh, restored things you weren't even sure back then were even possible? Yeah, I, I want, you know, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will finish it to completion until Amen. the day of Christ. And there's actually someone in this room, he may not remember, but he actually took me under, my, under his wing a little bit when I tried to get clean one time and he would share scripture with me and he, he shared that scripture with me and I want to give it back to him today too. Um, you know, that's amazing. And he, you know, just different people that had breathed things. And the prayers of saints, my parents, you know, my poor parents. Okay. You know, they welcomed me back as a prodigal son too. So awesome. Um, but the prayers of the saints, you know, G, you know, the prayers of the people of yes. the church and people, you know, praying for me. There's power in that. Yes. And uh, I want to I kind of pull this to, to a kind of response, to a kind of uh, action here. You know, JP's story is so powerful, and I appreciate you sharing this. Like, this isn't just some theoretical idea like you live this and you're living this and first of all there might be people in your life that you pray for and you're like I don't know if God could ever turn their life around mm. here's living breathing proof that that happens don't stop praying yeah. don't stop praying don't give up be persistent in prayer because you don't know how God's going to answer that prayer the other side might be you're here you're watching online and you'd say God could never welcome me back he could never love me I have too many reasons why. The list is long. It's significant. And if I were God, I wouldn't welcome me back. And maybe that's where you are. And I want you to hear JP's story that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Amen. God will welcome you back. He will welcome you with open arms. He will celebrate you. You are always welcome back. And, and I don't want to miss that point because we live in a culture where it's easy to disconnect and just ignore and, and move on. God doesn't move on. You, he still loves you. Even when you're messing up and screwing up and making dumb choices or, or walking away from him, the Bible says in Colossians that even while we were yet enemies with God, hmm. like enemies, he still loved us. That's how much God's love 
uh, is for you, how deep and, and wide his love is for you, to put into words the love that God has for you would be impossible. To be able to communicate to you, to be able to communicate how deep God loves you would be impossible. So he didn't try to tell you, he showed you. That's why 2,000 years ago, Jesus left heaven to come to earth, to take the form of a man, to live a life as a man without sin, and to experience the excruciating torture and pain of going to the cross. Not to start some religion, but because words cannot express how much love God has for you, so he had to show you. Three days later, Jesus walked out of that tomb. God is that father. And you might be, you might have thrown this out. God, like if there's any chance, I know you, you have no reason to love me or to welcome me. I know you have no reason to, 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 to be able to call me your child if I could just be a servant and get the scraps. And God has put the sheets out. And he's saying, no, no, no. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And, and you're here today. You're watching a line, not by accident. This isn't something that just coincidentally took place. God has you here for a reason because God is sovereign and he loves you and he is pursuing you and he is not gonna stop pursuing you. You are here for a reason, for a purpose. And I want you to know that God deeply cares about you. And I don't wanna just rush through our religious thing, get about our day and say that was a cool thing. And There's a moment you have to get out of the car and embrace him. There's a moment where that son started walking toward his father and his father ran to him and embraced him. There is a physical act and I'm not gonna ask you to run up here or anything like that, but I wanna pray. And as we pray, you may be what we would consider, some might consider a prodigal. You, you may have never walked through the doors of a church and you vowed if I ever walk through the doors of a church like the place is gonna collapse. Oh, oh I, I don't have the religious background. You don't have to have any of that. God welcomes you with open arms because he loves you. And I'm gonna pray here in a minute, and as we pray, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say, you know what? I wanna embrace the Father, my creator, my savior, the one who loves me, who's given everything for me, who, who loves me so much he couldn't say it in words, he did it with his actions. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for all that you've done. Jesus, that you loved us so deeply, that you gave your very life for us. Jesus, for those who are here, who are watching online, Lord, who who have walked away from you, Lord, who have, who have maybe made a mess of their life, Lord, or who, who, who maybe have never, ever walked through the doors of a church and vowed that God could never love them. Lord, I pray somehow, Lord, you would break through the walls and the barriers and the boundaries, Lord, that you would make your love known to them today, that you would make it so clear how much love and grace and mercy you have for them. God, you are that compassionate Father who's waiting to embrace them, who is running towards them, who's pursuing them. Holy Spirit, make that so clear today even if it's just a glimpse. As you're praying today, if that's you, whether you're watching along, whether you're here in person, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. It's a physical act of your will to say, God, I want to commit my life to your purposes, your plans. Welcome me back. For the first time, maybe, I wanna step into your plans for my life. You're, I'm tired of pursuing what I want. 
I want to pursue what you made me to be, what you created me to be. That's you on the count of three. One, two, three. Just reach your hand toward heaven this morning. Amen. Amen. Anyone else today? Amen. Anybody else today? Amen. You can put your hands down today. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not. And, and what I want to lead you in is a prayer, not some magic formula. It's a conversation with God, which is all, that's all that prayer is. As we talk to God, and I hope is this is the first of many times you have conversations with God, you talk to God about what's on your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for not giving up on me. So many have walked away from me. So many have given up on me. But you never have. Today, I accept your forgiveness of my past. And the mistakes I've made. I commit to live for your purposes. To pursue your plans for my life. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you prayed that prayer, I wanna encourage you. Go to the Connection Center. We have some resources. We wanna help you continue that journey. You can go to connect.calvaryirwin.com. Click I, uh, committed my life to Jesus, and we have some resources there digitally if you want. This isn't a step you take that you stop. This is the journey you take as a son, as a daughter. We're gonna close with one final song we sang earlier. Here's the pursuit of a prodigal. And in Luke 15, the younger son left home pursuing all that he could do, all that he could get. He wanted more for himself. And it's this pursuit of more. We want more of what we have because we deserve it. I, I, I'm, I'm the son, I deserve this. So that's what the thought was. I deserve this, I want this. And it came to this point where the son realized, no, he deserves it. He is worthy. God is worthy of your life, that you can dedicate your life. You commit your life to him. What that means isn't some religious term. It's saying, God, I'm offering. Romans says that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is what he is worthy of. As we sing this song this morning, whether you just prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe... Maybe you just need to say, God, I need to recalibrate my life today. As we step into a school year, we step into the fall, I need to put my life in the right place where, God, I recognize it's not about me. God, it's about you and honoring you and all that I do. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 